0: 6, and as you're opening up that, we'll go backwards and get a running start. Hebrews 6, but we'll turn to Hebrews 5, verse 11, and get it our start for tonight. Hebrews 5, 11, of whom we have much to say, and hard to explain since you'll become dull of hearing. Remember that word dull, because we're going to see in the next chapter that it says sluggard. He says, for by this time you ought to be teachers. And you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are full of age or maturity. That is, those by reason use their senses, exercise to discern both good and evil. Therefore, see the therefore ties it together. Leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ let us go forward to perfection or maturity, not laying aside again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God, of the doctrine of baptism, of laying on of hands or the resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. For it is impossible For those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the power of the age to come, if they fall away, to renew them again to repentance since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put Him to open shame. For the earth, which drinks in the rain that often comes upon it and bears herbs useful for those whom it is cultivated, it receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and briars, it's rejected and near to being cursed, whose end is to be burned. But beloved, we are confident of the better things concerning you. Yes, the things accompanying salvation, though we speak in this manner. For God is not unjust to forget your works and your labor of love which you have shown towards his name in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. And so we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of the hope until that end and that you do not become sluggish but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you again for your word, and we, Lord, ask that it would just bless us tonight. Lord, as we look at a topic that has caused most, if not all, the scholars to have consternation, have difficulty. And so, Lord, we look at this topic tonight, and we ask, Lord, that you would fill us with wisdom and understanding. In Jesus' name, amen. Again, you just read that section, and now half of you are like, "Uh uh-oh, did I do that? Have I fallen away? Now, I want to make this statement right off of the bat. This is a chapter, chapter 6 of Hebrews, that is by far the most contentious chapters in all of the Bible. Like, there isn't, there are more debate on this chapter than any other section in the Bible. Aren't you glad? Turn to chapter 7. Wouldn't that be nice? What I want to say is this, right off the bat, is that for the most part, we as believers don't need to worry about it. Then why did Paul put it in there? He put it in there for, as we will see, in context to the people that he is writing. If we do what Jesus says, which is stay, stay next to the vine, then you will never have a problem. Amen? you will never have a problem. Amen? Amen. So, you won't have a wondering problem. If you stay next to the vine, if you stay next to Jesus, you will never have to worry about that. By the way, I don't know if you figured this out, but Satan knows the Bible, and he loves to preach this sermon. He will preach it to you. He loves this section because it has brought, I used a big word, great consternation to many believers discomfort. It has caused them to be, well, tossed to and fro. So what I want to accomplish tonight is not necessarily hit every point, although they're all in my notes. We'll see what I do with them tonight. I don't know how deeply we will look into it, but it is a topic of can you lose your salvation? The writer is writing to a a specific group of people. We've talked about that, right? Let's lay that foundation. These are Jews who have come out of Judaism and at some point made a profession of Jesus and now they are dangerously close to going backwards. And so the writer is specifically talking to them. Everybody got that? I know we make a big deal of this every time, but the context of the scripture is so important to know who the writer is and who he is writing to so that we do not get confused because the devil would love to preach this to you and have you in a place of, oh, oh, am I going down that path? So remember, they are they're in peril of drifting back. Remember last week, and that's why we got the running start, that he, he told them not to be dull. At this point in their walk, they should have a better understanding of the Scriptures. I have found that those who have problems in the area of the Bible, they just don't know their Bible. On Sunday morning when we started in the book of Revelation, what were we making that foundation that in order to understand revelation, you got to know the other 65 books, yes? So oftentimes when the when the enemy tries to beat you up with scripture, you know what Jesus did. What did he do? He used scripture. He combated the devil with the Word of God. And the more that we know God's Word, when we know the character of God, the more that we know the red letters, it is, it is going to be easier for us to stay close to the vine. So I say all of that, and I think it's time to go. We've got a little brownie bits out there and some coffee and enjoy them. But you look at a section like this, and you're like, That's kind of scary. Did you guys read ahead? Did you're like, I shouldn't have read ahead, but I read ahead. Chapter 6 of Hebrews is well known. It is a chapter, again, like I said, many people have been debating. I actually think that there is no debate in here whatsoever. Just like Revelation is one of the easiest books to understand if you got the key if you know the other 65 books. But sometimes we run across a verse like this and we go, what is going on? So when we're studying the Bible, again, context is everything. Read 20 verses before and 20 verses after, and hopefully you'll be able to understand. Don't let that devil preach to you about this chapter, because if you're having any doubts in your salvation with Jesus, you're good because those who don't, don't care. Are you ready? <laughs> Therefore, again, tying that section before, knowing that these are Jews that are on the precipice of falling backwards into their religious life before. having le- Leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ let us go forward to the perfection, that's the maturity, not laying aside the foundations of repentance from dead works, and the faith towards God, the doctrines of baptism, the laying on of hands, and the resurrection of the dead, and the eternal judgment. So let's look at these. He tells us first that uh, these are the elementary principles. He, He is exhorting, this group. Which group? I don't mean to keep saying this. Which group? Is he talking to the Philippians? No, he's talking to the group who have just come out of religious, the, the, uh, of Judaism, all the symbolism, all the rituals, all of the holidays. He is talking to that group of people. And he tells them, he is exhorting them to, to leave the pattern in the Old Testament for the reality of Christ that is before them. And the dangerous thing is we can get comfortable in religion. No show of hands. How many of you have ever been comfortable in religion? Because religion doesn't challenge you to progress. It loves that you stay where you are, amen? And you're like, I've been here for 10 years. Yeah, the devil loves that. The devil loves that you come to church. But are you progressing? Is where you are. That's good English. Is where you are. That's right, you'll use that tomorrow. Are they challenging you in your walk? Religion doesn't care if you move forward or not. And the devil would love you to just stay right where you are. And the writer says, you can't stay In the Old Testament, you gotta move forward. And so these doctrines are listed in verses one and two. They are to show us the fundamentals of the beginning of Christianity, but it is not where we stop, it is where we progress forward into Christ. Again, they fell short of Christ's risen and glorification. The exhortation is to leave the basics, not in the sense of abandoning them. This is the fallacy. It's not abandoning them as worthlessness, but rather advancing from them into maturity. Did you see how many times he talks about perfection? It's maturity. So, growing, the writer is saying, is going when we're growing out of the religious system and now we're seeing what Christ has done for us and has set us free coming out of religion and coming into a walk with Christ, the writer says, that's a mature believer. So somebody who is still in religion, the writer would say is still a babe and needs milk. Again, the implication is that the period of Judaism was a time of spiritual infancy and Christianity represents a full growth. Now, it just sounded like I was uh, anti-Semitic, right? That's not what I'm saying at all. We have a Judeo-Christian heritage. We are thankful. We actually take you through the Old Testament and we show you where Christ is. We point you to that. The Old Testament is vitally important for your walk. Who likes Proverbs? Who likes the Psalms? I love, I can't wait till we get back to Genesis again. It is one of my favorite books to go through. I love Leviticus. Two other people do too. Don't you love the oozing sores passage? (sighs) And what he's talking about here is that he is going to take us on a journey from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And he's going to say, you don't ever stay In the pattern, you go to the reality. It's like us coming home and loving the photo of our spouse rather than the reality. Amen? The Old Testament is the photo, and the New Testament is the reality, the flesh and blood. And yet, people are so happy to worship the pattern. Once a foundation has been laid, the next step is to build upon it. And so there is a principle of the Old Testament. That is the foundation that was laid. And we're going to see these six fundamental teachings that are in the Old Testament and that we build upon them. Jesus Christ, his person, his work, and the representing uh, of the Father and when we start to learn that, the resurrection, the defeating of death, we start to grow ourselves as believers. Notice the first one, and I love this because it is the thing that really hampers religious people the most. I love that it's number one. Did you see it? It's in number one of our list. It is repentance from dead what? what? Works. What hampers a religious person the the most when they realize that they can't work themselves to God. Again, it's a type in a picture. This was preached constantly by the prophets as well as the forerunners of, of Messiah, that the Messiah would come. And so the writer is calling on people to turn from their works that were dead in a sense that they were devoid of faith and any way to to get themselves to God. Dead works also may refer to works that were formerly right, but now which are dead since Christ has come. Notice, for example, the services inside of the temple, it's all a foreshadowing what they did in the past to what Jesus finished work upon the cross. So those works are dead now. There is no need for a temple because we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, 1 Corinthians. So we don't need to do that work. We, aren't you glad that we don't have to like out back each Sunday kill a lamb? Anybody? Line up. Everybody has to put their hand on the lamb while, somebody, while the priest pulls the knife away. That's one. Got 170 more people to go. Aren't you glad that that system is fulfilled in Jesus? Amen. So, that work is what? It's dead. It's no longer needed because of the Lamb. See, it's basic. All we're asking for is a little bit of common sense. So, the next one is faith towards God. Again, this is an Old Testament emphasis. It's important to have faith towards God, but in the New Testament, Christ is always presented as the object of the faith. And so, this now displaces the faith in God and places it upon his representative on planet Earth, and that was Christ. And so, we leave verse 1. In verse 2, he continues these doctrines, and he says, the doctrines of baptism, of laying on of hands and of the resurrection of the dead and lastly, the eternal judgment. Instruction about baptism does not refer to Christian baptism that we know. It is referring to the ceremonial washing that the priests needed to go through as well as women who had given birth. Remember, they have a ceremonial washing as well. They couldn't go into the temple. There were a lot of what we would consider dunkings going on in, in the Old Testament. We don't always think about that in the New Testament, but that is filled through here. In fact, Hebrews nine ten says, "...concerned only with food and drink and various washings." So he refers back to what they were doing in the Old Testament. Now again, the laying on of hands, I, I just described that. It was actually laying your hand upon that animal. Again, the animal bore away the sins of the people. And now Jesus has taken that, and now we place our trust and hope in him. He continues by saying the resurrection of the dead. Again, that's taught in Job and Psalms and Isaiah, and it was then fulfilling. fulfilling. I'm doing good tonight. It was fulfilled ultimately in Jesus coming out of the tomb, the resurrection of the dead. I'll tell you, the great one is just, it was like practicing with Lazarus. Like, see, look what I can do. You know how your kid always says, look what I can do. Here's Jesus. Here's Lazarus. He's out of the tomb. And then he comes out himself on the third day. And then the final foundation of truth of the Old Testament was eternal judgment. So that's in Psalms. Uh, Let me read to you from Psalm chapter 17. The wicked shall be turned into, (laughs) don't quote this to your family. Uh, The wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. So there is, I don't care what any new book is out there in so-called Christendom, there is a, it's a real place, it's a real hell, and hell is just separation from God. Again, these first principles represented Judaism, and they were the foreshadowing of what was to come in Christ. Christians should not continue to be content with these, but press a for, uh, forward in Christ. The idea is and I just don't rest in those Old Testament principles. I continue to move forward. Again, the readers are urged to pass from the shadow to the substance, from the type to the anti-type, and then on it goes. The writer wants to get them out of that dead religion into a relationship that is alive. Isn't that great? Now, he says in verse 3 that we'll do this if God permits. Like if I got time in this message and the Holy Spirit gives us more chapters, he goes, then we'll, we'll talk about even further. But he wants to get to this topic, and that is of apostasy. It is the falling away. And so verse 4, for it is impossible for those who were once enlightened now look at that word impossible the same word impossible is down in verse 18 two immutable things in which it is impossible for god to lie so that's that word means in the greek it means impossible it means it's not possible for this to happen what's not possible What in the world is he talking about? Can I tell you? I really don't know. Isn't that encouraging to anyone? Like, I thought you're supposed to know. Didn't you go to seminary? No. (laughs) Thank you, Jesus, for that one. Uh, Listen, I don't even want to get into Calvinism and Arminianism. That's not the point. The point is to the group that he is writing. And the group that he is writing is wanting to go back to the religious system which had lambs and had a sacrificial system. And he is telling them, if you do that, there is no hope in that old system. Did that old system save them? Oh, look, no one wants to say it. No. So the writer is saying, why would you go back to an old system that'll never save you? Why would you leave Jesus, who is salvation, to go to a system that has no salvation? And if you do that, you are rejecting what Jesus did on the cross. Does that make sense? I got a lot more. Let me scroll through these. And again, there are so many arguments on every side. What group of people are these? And I'm going to read to you. Um, let me see if I've got it ready. Yeah, I got it ready. Uh, I have a commentary. One of my favorite commentaries is by William McDonald, the Bible Believers Commentary. We have that out there. You can get it on uh, in a digital form. And he, every once in a while, he. He'll, he'll be writing a, his commentary on these verses, and then he'll, he'll say, I, I've got an excursion to take you on. And he wrote this. Now, this is what's funny. Um, I don't necessarily agree with every point that he says in here, but I'm going to read it totally for you um, because I think that it, it's lost in the point of the textual um, application to the to who, who he's writing to. Now, these guys are old, they're dead. They... So these arguments, you can understand, have been around for 50, 100 years and have bounced to and fro, back and forth. And even though I, I almost never uh, uh, have a problem with William McDonald's stuff, I just want to read to you what is out there and the position that it's on and then uh, at the end of it. Uh, give you my idea as well, which I've already stated, but you've already forgot. So, now on this topic, it's the topic of apostates. Now, remember when we were in Thessalonians, he talked about the falling away. That word is apostate, okay? The word here that he uses in here is not apostate, though. So, that's interesting. Let me read to you now from William MacDonald. He said, apostates are people who hear the gospel, make a, profession, uh, 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 make a profession of being Christians, become identified with a Christian church, and abandon their profession of faith, and that repudiates Christ. They desert the Christian fellowship and take their place with the enemies of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, on the surface, that sounds pretty good, doesn't it? And for the most part, I would agree with that statement. Those who at at some point, you know, they joined a church, uh, they, they made some kind of profession of faith. And I want you to filter all of this through the parable of the four soils. That's our filter. Because we know that only one quarter of those who hear the word actually produce fruit and are, as we would say, believers in Christ. So filter that through that. He continues... He said, apostasy is a sin which can be committed only by unbelievers. Now, this is where I start to differ with him, and I'll I'll make my difference at the end. But I wanted you to know, see, notice how I give both sides? Oh, I don't want you to just hear my opinion. Be Bereans. Listen, have have differing views, and then come to what the context of the writer is trying to write. But I'm right. Sorry. Sorry. Apostasy is sin which can be committed only by unbelievers. So, the apostasy is the falling away. Remember I said that? So, even though he says it can only be committed by unbelievers, I kind of disagree with that. Not only by those who are deceived, but those who knowingly, willfully, and maliciously turn against the Lord. It should not be confused with the sin of the average unbeliever who hears the gospel but does nothing about it. For instance, the man who failed to respond to Christ after repeated invitations by the Holy Spirit, he is not an apostate and he can still be saved if he would commit himself to the Savior. And we would agree with that. He hasn't fully heard the gospel message. He hasn't fully rejected that message. Of course, if he dies in unbelief, he says he is lost forever. Again, we agree with that. But he is not hopeless as long as he is capable of exercising faith in the Lord. And I like that. They're not lost yet. Apostasy should not be confused with backsliding. For a true believer may wander very far away from Christ, like the parable of the prodigal son, right? Would we not agree that he wandered very far away? He was in a pig pen. How low do you get as a Jew to be in a pig pen? You're pretty far away. So, apostasy should not be confused with the, with the backslider. for a true believer may wander very far away from Christ. Through, uh, though sin and his fellowship with God is shattered, he may uh, be able to reach the point where he could uh, no longer be recognized as a believer. And we know those people to this day. You're like, uh, you used to go to church, and, but, but listen, there's still hope for them, aren't, isn't there? And that person can be restored fully to a fellowship with God if he confesses and forsakes his sin. 1 John 1, 9, right? If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, anything ever. Apostasy is not the same as the unpardonable sin mentioned in the Gospels. That sin was attributing the miracles, he, he continues, William MacDonald, to the Lord as the prince of the demons. The, the, the religious leaders were saying that he was Beelzebub. Remember that? And Jesus said, hey, guys, you're getting pretty close to that blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And again, ultimately, we know the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is a rejection of the work of the Holy Spirit which points us to Jesus. That's ultimately what it is. So you haven't done that either. Isn't that nice to know if you're sitting here on a Wednesday night? He continues and he says this. He says, I believe that apostasy is the same as sin leading to death, mentioned in 1 John five sixteen. John was writing about people who had professed to be believers and had participated in the activities of the local church. But then they started to fall into the false teaching of the Gnostics. And we'll get to that when we get to John, 1 John. But they deliberately departed, indicating that they were never truly born again. John says they departed from us because they were not really of us. So by openly denying that Jesus is the Christ, they proved that they were no longer a believer and they had that sin that could not, they could not come out of that. Now, some earnest Christians, he says, are troubled when they read Hebrews 6 and similar passages. Again, because Satan uses these verses especially to unsettled believers. I like that phrase. Are you unsettled today? 2020 will do it to you. If you're unsettled and you're certainly not back in the chairs, in the pews, you are now away from the body of Christ and you are on your own, man, the devil's going to come after you with full barrels. Listen, he continues, he says, Satan uses these verses especially to the unsettled believers who are having physical, mental, and emotional difficulties. They fear that they have fallen away from Christ and that there is no hope of restoration. They worry that they have drifted beyond the redemption point. The fact that they are even concerned about it tells us that they haven't and they will not because they care about their standing with God and somebody who doesn't care about God could care less about their standing with God. Does that make sense? All right. If the sin of apostasy doesn't apply to believers, then to whom does it apply to in our day? He continues, It applies, for instance, to the young man who makes a profession of faith in Christ and seems to go on brightly for a while. This would make us uh, go back to that parable of the soils a little bit. He says, But then something happens in his life. Perhaps the experiences of bitter persecution or gross immorality or, perfect, or I love he says this or perhaps he goes to college <laughs> we laugh but more people have walked away from god going to college than anything else i warn you parents you better be very i don't even want to show a hands parents you could say right now oh yeah my kid went to that college and then went, left this on me okay We have to, as parents, be very careful about where our kids go. There are plenty of good opportunities. Don't just send them to a school because it's the name of the school. Send them so that they have a fighting chance to be around other believers who are going through the same thing. Why would you send your kid to the wolves? And then we get shocked when they come home and say, I don't believe in Jesus. Oh, really? We're shocked because of that? They went to a place that is anti-God. What do you expect going to happen? And then that rare percentage that are fine with it, but if they don't know who and what they believe in before they leave, they will be taught and they will be indoctrinated. Again, with full knowledge of the truth, this person deliberately turns away and he completely renounces Christ. And he tramples on every sacred fundamental doctrine of the Christian faith. Therefore, the Bible says it's impossible to restore one to such a repentance and experience faith again with God. He goes on and he says, We have known many who have apostated themselves from Christ but we have never known anyone who has returned after being an apostate. He says, as we approach the end of this age, we can expect a rising tide of apostasy, hence 2 Thessalonians that we studied. Therefore, the warning against falling away becomes more relevant with every day that passes. And I want to interject now my view on this because it would seem from the writer that this person was A believer. Listen, if you look at that list, I I can come out of this since I, I know where I'm about to go. If I don't say Billy Graham, shout it out in a minute. Let's look at this list again and see if on the surface this person looks like a believer or not. From a worldly perspective or from a church perspective, does this person look like a believer? They were enlightened. They tasted of the heavenly gift. What's the heavenly gift, if not salvation? Amen. Does this person look saved yet? He says, and becomers of the Holy Spirit. Doesn't that sound very Christian? Of course it does. Tasted of the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, the dunamis that was given in Acts 1 8? Doesn't that sound like a believer? So what is the problem? Well, the problem when the commentators look at this, they look at it and go, we're having a hard time reconciling this. And again, this comes to what we've been talking about, not only on Sunday, but over the last couple of years, how we were raised to think as Greek thinkers and not Hebrew thinkers. Right? We're looking at a passage and it doesn't make sense and we keep pushing it and we're like, we got to figure this out because it doesn't make sense, but it makes perfect sense to God. Listen, when we get to Revelation, the the church to Ephesus says that you have left your first love. It didn't say he lost anything. They're not lost. They left it. So can you lose your salvation? No, but you can leave it. That's what the writer is telling us. That is Now, doesn't that kind of bring a little shudder? Like, oh, you mean I can't? Oh, yes, you can. And here is the example of that. I don't know if it's the case for Christ or the case for faith, but it's one of Lee Strobel's books. I really should find that out for once and for all since I quote it all the time. But he tells a story of a man named Charles Templeton. And this goes along with the account of Billy Graham. Now, Billy Graham and Charles Templeton, they were both young men. They were both evangelists, and they both went around the country together. Has anyone ever heard of Charles Templeton? Some you may have because I've told this story. But these are young men. They're going around. They are together. They're a team. Charles Templeton and Billy Graham. And they're going around, and at some point, and I can't remember all the details, but it doesn't matter. At some point, Charles Templeton and I reread portion of it today. Do you know what part of his problem was? Are you ready for it? He wanted to go to Princeton to learn more. Part of his problem was thinking that he could think out this Christianity again. It's that Greek problem. Well, there's some holes in here, and so I gotta figure it out. I, I gotta get some more. Tutelage, and I got to get smarter people in the theology department to help me reconcile it. Sometimes it just means green grass. That was Sunday. Remember that? Sometimes it just means that you don't have to dig into it. But a man like Charles Templeton, at some point, something changed, and this discussion that goes on with Billy Graham. Let me paraphrase it. So, at some point, he says to Billy Graham, "Listen." I, I'm gonna go to this school. I gotta get some more tutelage or I gotta get some instruction. He goes, you know, because Billy, by this time, uh evolution is just like on steroids. And the world is all on board with it. The liberal uh seminaries are starting to teach it. All the major universities are on board with evolution. And he goes, Billy, you can't really believe that it was six literal days, can you? And Billy said, listen, I believe the Bible because God wrote it. I believe in that. Not because there's any necessarily evidence, which there is. And he says, there are plenty of scholars that will teach us that, and we have plenty of good Christian scientists. But he goes, I believe in creation because God said so. Do you see the difference? Well, later he leaves... He completely renounces Jesus. He writes a book. And at at some point, Lee Strobel goes and interviews him. And Lee's heart is just broken. And and this man, Charles Templeton, who used to be used by God, is now one of the, the biggest proponents of atheism. He has completely walked away. Now, would we agree that God used him in a way with Billy Graham? People came to Christ because of Charles Templeton. Would we not agree that he fell into this category? That he had the power? That he tasted of the word of God? God used him in a mighty way? But at some point he said, I don't want to have anything to do with you, Jesus. We have a couple of the old time, in um, times movies. And I know I mentioned this, but I, I love this quote. In the movie... There is a guillotine. <laughs> what could be good from a guillotine? There's a guillotine and a guy is laying on the, on the or, I'm sorry, this, this woman that he's talking to and it's the Antichrist. She sees the guillotine and he says to her, and she's now freaked out because it's the guillotine, and she knows that if she says uh, yes to the Antichrist, she doesn't have to die. And he whispers in her ear, because it's the idea of Satan. And I love this scene. He says, tell the Son of Man you have nothing to do with him. That's the lie of the enemy. That is at some point what happened to Charles Templeton. Tell the Son of Man that you have nothing to do with him. And he became apostate. And he falls into this category. So, (laughs) listen, here's the great thing. I don't want you to send me a letter. I don't want you to come out afterwards and give me your five points of whatever. I don't want any of that. I don't want I missed anything. I want it to be so basic tonight is this. There is a possibility that that's exactly what the writer is trying to say, that this person was actually saved, but they chose their choice to walk away from God. That is very possible. This is one of the strongest warnings in all of the Bible. (laughs) It's pretty strong, isn't it? Like, you can't come back after you say no. And it is a heart choice. And when we get to the tribulation, and when we're talking about the mark of the beast, and everyone wants to talk about what it is and where it is, it's not that. It's allegiance to Satan. And it will be, tell the Son of Man that you have nothing to do with him. That's what it means. And the writer is trying to say, don't go back to something that will not save you. That's Judaism. And if you go back to it, you can't be saved from it. You can't, like, come in again. well, I accepted Jesus, but then I went back to the old system of cutting a lamb. And the writer says, 6, if they fall away, to renew them again to repentance, since they crucify again themselves the Son of God and put Him to open shame. He says you can't do that. Notice it says, if they fall away. The word fall away is that's what he is talking about. He's not talking about falling. We all fall. We all stumble. But we can, First John 1, 9, I confess my sins to God, and he is faithful and just. I can be like the prodigal and I can come back because I know that it's better in my father's servant's house than it is in the pig pen. And the knowledge that you, you just have that my father would accept me back is proof that you will not be in hell. Isn't that good news? What does that mean for us tonight? Don't worry about this passage. Stay next to the vine. Make sure you're in church. Yeah, You. You're listening on the radio. Get yourself in church. You think that you're going to go through an event like 2020 on your own? Or what's coming? Wait till the persecution starts. I mean, actually starts. What are you going to do then? This is, I mean, I mean it's kind of sad, but also exciting. This is it. This is the hope that we have to make it through to see Jesus. We're it. It's the body of Christ. Why would you ever want to go it alone? And why would you ever want to go back to the type when you've got the real thing? And the writer says, stop fooling around. Don't you love that? Just knock it off. Now, notice what he says. He gives an example in verse 7 and 8. He says, for the earth which drinks in the rain that often comes upon it and bears herbs useful for those whom it is cultivated receives blessing from God. Again, the writer applies that you have been blessed, but where is your fruit? How are you, up? How are you blessing other people? He says we should be useful to those around. He said, but if it bears thorns and briars, it's rejected and near to being cursed, whose end is to be burned with fire. Again, this picture presented reminds us that growth and bearing fruit is important and it keeps us from falling away. When we really bear fruit, again, we abide in Jesus. Let me, I've been quoting it the the entire night. I am the vine, And you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. Listen, if this kind of freaks you out, you're like, I don't Then just bear much fruit. Isn't that great? Do works, not for salvation, but that we love God. The best way that we can continue in our walk with God is helping and serving other people to be around Jesus, to see what he is doing. So, but, verse 9, he says, Beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you. Don't you love how this writer is like, Come on, guys, I have faith in you still. You haven't fallen away. You're not like this group. Get with the program. Stop fooling around. But I have confidence in you concerning you. Yes, the things accompanying salvation, though we speak in this manner, which is the things that we just said, which is, they're kind of tough. Remember when Peter says there are things that Paul says that are really tough to understand? It could very well be this passage right here. He says, for God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love, which you have shown towards his name, in that you minister to the saints and do minister. Listen to what he says here. He says, you want to stay firm in where you are in the walk that you have? Do these things, your work and labor of love. We are serving God other people. The two things that accompany salvation, which were manifested or revealed in the lives of believers, are work and a labor of love. Love is active. It's not an emotion. It's going to be actively participating in our service to other people. It's not enough. I mean, doesn't James say that? To say, well, you could say to your, your brother, be warm and filled, brother. Say Christian words to them. But if you don't do anything to help them, who are you like? You're like a heathen. Heathens, are you ready for it? Heathens are good people too. There are a lot of, you know them. The, my neighbor, my coworker, they're really good people. Still going to hell. That just got me banned from Facebook. (laughs) And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of the hope until the end. Again, he says that there is this assurance and a hope until what? Listen, till the end. Did Charles Templeton make it to the end? He didn't didn't finish his race. He quit. That's the dangerous thing in 2020. That there were a lot of people that just stayed home and quit. And the devil loved it. He says that you do not become sluggish. That's dull from the last chapter. But imitate those through faith and patience and the inheritance of the promise. They should not become sluggish, allowing their feet to drag and their spirit to lag. They should press on, imitating, please note this, true believers who through faith and patience have inherited the promises. Those who have gone before us. When we get to Hebrews 11, the heroes of faith, he is going to let us know those who who have run the race before and have endured through persecution. And that allows us, when we read that, to go, man, I, I can do that as well. Biographies are important to read. We have, I, I-, I mentioned it, it is in stock. The Bonhoeffer um, uh, biography is in stock. And we have a couple of new books in there. I encourage you to see what's on that, that uh, bookstore Countertop. Most of the new stuff is there as, as well as if you were on Sunday uh, missing some of the Revelation studies. They're also back in stock. But listen, if we imitate those through faith and patience, inherit the promise. When we read about Elizabeth Elliot who goes into the very village to proclaim Jesus, who that village killed her husband and three other men on a beach in Ecuador. Does that blow anybody's mind? You're like, and that she brought her daughter? Well, that allows me to continue. I'm imitating those who through faith and patience inherited the promise. There's a reason why we have the the totality of the Bible. No other book would talk about its heroes in such a disparaging light like it does. You don't write a book and want to have a bestseller when you show (laughs) your heroes like Abraham in a bad light. You always do his good stuff. You would never show David killing a man and having an affair with Bathsheba, would you, if he was your hero? No, you don't do that, but the Bible does that. The Bible shows the imperfections of its people. It shows the failures of its people. And says, listen, you can learn from those. And that by the power of the Spirit, you can make it to verse 11, the end. Well, we have to stop there because, uh, well, I just went too long with that. So, read ahead and we will get back to the topic of Melchizedek for our time next time. Lord, we thank you again for the certainty of salvation in you. And Father, if we continue on, if we abide near the vine where all of the nutrients are, the vine being you, Lord, if we stray away, we we can be like that prodigal son. Lord, I pray for the hearts of people who are discouraged, who are alone today, who are going it alone. And the enemy is preaching this chapter to them. Father, that you would strengthen them even now as we speak. That you would embolden them not to be afraid. Lord, that you would encourage their hearts with peace and comfort. And allow them, Lord, to finish the race. Thank you, Lord, for your salvation. We thank you, Lord, for the Old Testament that points us to to our Lamb, Jesus, who took away our sins and came out of the tomb and given us life and that more abundantly. Thank you, Lord, again, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand, read ahead, Revelation, the rest of chapter 1, as we unveil.